Good morning. Welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you guys for being part of today. I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's, uh, it's great to see you. Glad, glad to have um, you, guys, you guys here. Um, it's important for us to realize that um, God works, and God is working all over the place. Sometimes we kind of get isolated on our little coastside as we, we tuck ourselves here on, on this side of the hill. But God is doing things all around the world, and that's pretty exciting, and we've made it a point as a church family, to be um, concerned and to focus and to pray for the persecuted church around the world. Um, but I want us to stay aware and always stay aware of how God is working in other places as well, even throughout the state of California. And, and, and one of those areas I want to expose us to um, this morning is how God works on college campuses. Um, a lot of times we just kind of think kids go off to college and, and, and there they go, but God is doing an awful lot there. And I'd like to invite uh, Troy Tisthammer to come on up, if you would. He's going to join me up here right now. Let's give him a hand. So, would you please? <laughs> Troy is with uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and um, he's going to share a little bit about your ministry. And so, if you could just kind of share with us what ministry are you part of, and, 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 and where, and, and, and why, and what do you do? Yeah. Um, I'm Troy Tisthammer, so my wife Jackie's over here too. Uh, we're both part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and we have the privilege to work with college students. Um, for myself, mostly on the campus at Sonoma State University up in the North Bay, and then a few other campuses around the area. Um, and, and yeah, we get to work with college students full time. What, what does InterVarsity do? Okay, what do you guys do on campus? Yeah. Uh, we, we do a whole bunch of different activities. Um, we, we have Bible studies and, and um, large group meetings. Uh, we have conferences. We have a whole lot of activities that are helpful. But I think in the, in the end, our role and our goal is to help train and equip leaders. Um, leaders that are going to lead on campus and do God's work on campus, uh, but also leaders that are going to be sent out into the world to do God's work um, through their vocation, um, at their church, and for the rest of their lives. What, um, um, I mean, that's awesome stuff to do. What, what's your week look like? Okay, you're, you train leaders, you're going to do all kinds of stuff. So would he just go out and say, hey, you're a leader, I'm going to train you. What, what, yeah. what does it actually look like? How does it kind of come about? Honestly, I never know until the start of the week. <laughs> no, um, I think some of the things that we do, um, we, we have a, like, for example, we have a leadership team at my, on my campus, and also we'll spend a lot of time meeting with them as a team, training them in leadership skills, helping them um, be formed spiritually, um, so they're deepening their lives with God as they reach out, so we can coach students as well as they they plant Bible studies as they reach out to their friends, as they lead investigative Bible studies. Um, and then we'll, we'll also bring them to conferences and um, train them in how to, how to lead others in Scripture, all, all sorts of uh, fun, fun things like that. Good, thank you. He, he shared with me, and he'll share a little bit later um, this morning, how he said, I think I accidentally started a Bible study for the baseball team. Yeah. You know, it's just like, how do you accidentally start a Bible study? He did. He'll, he'll talk a little bit about that. <laughs> um, um, Troy and his wife, Jackie, are going to be here after the service. They have a table out there as well. And um, I'm going to encourage you to, to take some time um, this morning, actually, after the service to go and talk to them um, as well about InterVarsity and what it means. And the table is there for information but also, um, um, they are always looking to discover more support for encouragement to help them as well. And so, if you're interested, make sure you talk to Troy and Jack. Thank you. Let's give him a, let's give him a hand. Let's thank him for that. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And, and, and Troy's going to be up in a few more minutes and talking a little bit more about kind of the whole subject that we're talking 
um, about uh, this morning. Um, our whole emphasis this year is on Esperanza, um, hope, the word hope. And it's a pretty good word. I like it. I like it that we are saying we're going to talk about hope for a large part of this year. Now, hope is just more than a wish, okay? A wish is just, I think, wimpy hope, you know? Like, I hope it stops raining. <laughs> it's never going to stop raining around here, it seems, seems like. Yeah. Or I hope I get the account at, at, at work. That's not the way that God would say he wants hope to develop in our lives. Hope is a good thing, and it's a God thing, and it's the confidence that a loving God is in charge of life, and he's in charge of my life, and that no matter what happens, whether it's good or whether it's bad, he's in control of this, and it's, and it's, and it's going to be okay. It's going to work itself out in my life, and therefore I have hope. I can have it. It's something that I've, I've, I've got. And so we've been talking about, um, through the last few weeks, if you're new here, we've been talking about how to kind of pump it up in our lives, how to raise the ability to have hope within us. And there's a bunch of different ways that we can raise that hope that's going on. And, and this morning, we're going to kind of shift around to the whole concept from having hope to unleashing hope. Now that we have it, how do we begin to unleash it in the lives of people around us, in our families, in our marriages, in our work, if we can now be not just simply hope consumers, but hope givers, that we can give hope to people. And today I would like to talk about unleashing hope in my family, in our families, and how we can do that even more so. And so let's take a second and pray. Would you pray with me? Father, God, thank you for these moments and this time, and give me the right words to share, and help us to be just bring hope to those around us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every single one of us, I don't care who we are when we talk about families, every single one of us is, is part of a family or has been part of a family. Um, when, when, but every time I hear the word nuclear family, I always think of my Greek family. I'm half Greek, and so we used to have get-togethers, and every time a bunch of Greeks get together, you know, Mediterranean with all the emotion, it becomes nuclear. Just everyone's yelling and screaming or laughing one moment and then crying and yelling at the next. But that's not what nuclear family means. It means, you know, mom and dad and, and, and kids, and some of you grew up in a nuclear family. Some of you, some of you didn't, but we all had family, okay? All of us, no matter what. You were at one time a kid, and there were adults over you. And some of you had kids. And some of you have nieces and nephews or grandchildren and, and brothers and sisters. Um, some of you are raising your grandkids. And, and, man, hats off to you on that one. God bless you for that. And some of you are in the whole middle of the child thing, and God bless you for that, you know, um, as you're going through the ups and downs on that. And And... I was looking at um, some of the books I have in my library. I got a bunch of books on, on, on counseling and therapy and theology and some of them on, on family. And, 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 I, and I pulled some of them down. And, 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 and this one is um, The Seven Secrets of Effective Fathers. Seven Secrets of Effective Fathers. I have that one. And then I have Ten Secrets for, for um, Successful Family. Okay, and then this one here is 20 things I want my kids to know. Is there a pattern going on here? You know, are we, are we talking about, about this here? And then I, and I actually, this one actually um, is um, how and when to tell your kids about sex. 
Okay, now I've gone through all these books, and when I got to this one, I just simply said, uh, when my kids turned 18, I just tossed the book to them and said, here, you should probably read this at some point in your life. But um, that's what I did with, with my books here. <clears throat> um, there's a lot of great things in these books, and one of the things that is a consistent theme that runs throughout, that's hidden throughout, is the whole idea of hope, providing hope in your family and particularly in your kids. And for those of you who had encouraging parents, you're blessed. If you had parents that provided hope into your life and encouraged you throughout life, you're, you're a blessed person. And those of you who weren't, who had parents that were always critical, always on your case, never built you up, you're still working through it. You still are. And your perfectionism is, is a result of that or some other issues that you're having to just try and kind of grieve through are the result of not receiving the hope from the parents that they should have given you. And so what I want to say is let's not let that repeat. Let's let that stop here and today so that we can be encouragers to our families, to our kids, to our parents, or to our nieces and to our nephews and to our, our, our grandkids. And, and after looking at all these books, I actually have come up with 247 ways to increase hope in your family. So we better get started, right? So we better get started on this one. No, only a couple points. Here we go. First one is this. Just, just in your life, as you're raising either your kids or maybe as you're encouraging kids, as you minister to kids, as you disciple kids, um, know the difference between motivation and direction. You might want to put direction and discipline. Know the difference between motivation and direction and discipline and when and how to use each because there is a difference between motivation and direction and discipline. And, and, and so God, who knows we struggle through this kind of stuff, will now help give us some guidelines for this. There's a great verse in Proverbs, and it was written by Solomon, and Solomon was the guy who asked God, God, um, um, I want wisdom. I need wisdom as I'm going to lead people. And so he, he got God-given wisdom on lots of different things. And he wrote this, and this is to us. He said, discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you'll ruin their lives. And that means there is a particular certain place for discipline to, to come up. And, and I'm not sure where you stand, the whole discipline, disciplining your kids. It's interesting, though, that he couples hope here with it. With it. And, and, and there is actually a time frame in, in guiding your kids. Discipline is directional. It's giving them clear direction. Now, the same guy who wrote this verse wrote this this wrote that verse, wrote this one as well. It says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. That's a familiar verse to a, a lot of people. And, and, and the term actually can be translated, the way he should go, can actually be translated not in the direction that you're setting for him, but actually the term way he should go could also mean his bent in life or her bend in life. Meaning that as you begin to understand your children and what they're like, their characteristics, their personality, you help encourage the natural bend that they have in life. And then when they're older, they will be good at it. The first verse we looked at is much more directional and disciplinary. The second one is much more motivational. As you begin to understand, I have three kids. My three kids are all very, very different. And therefore, what we had to do is understand the differences and begin to work with them in the midst of those differences. And there's going to be always, no matter 
what you're doing, no matter who you are with your kids, there's always going to be this shifting balance between the motivational and also the discipline and directional. When your kids are born, it's all loving motivational. Okay, you're motivating your kids. You know, oh, you know, you're so cute, isn't that great? You know, you motivate them. It's about love and and all that. And 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 then it switches actually around the age of you know, eighteen months to two <clears throat> to much more directional. For instance, when they are two years old, the main word you use to your child is what? No, no. <laughs> no, you know, no, yeah, no. We use that a lot, right? Because they're trying new kinds of things, and they have to know the boundaries, and they have to know all that kind of stuff. And even as they get older, you know, no, you know, no playing video games is going to rot out your brain. All those kinds of things. And as kids get older, as your as your kids get older, now you start to, and they start to make their own decisions, and you learn to trust them more and more. You shift back from the direction back now to the motivation. Okay, to the whole trust thing. Um, You give them as they earn it, trust. And as you give them and as they earn that trust, when it falls apart, then then you have to give them more direction. You see, it kind of of shifts back and forth. Follow follow, follow what I'm I'm saying here? Um, There's a great verse that the Apostle Paul, he wrote to followers of Christ. And and this is the verse, it says this, this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And that means that you can be so much on the discipline, so much always getting down on their case again and again and again and again and again that they'll just finally say, I've had enough of this. I'm going to turn off the switch from my dad or from my my mom because all I'm getting from them is static. All I'm getting is criticism. All I'm getting them is they don't trust me enough, and so they're always now getting on my case. See see where it's going here? When um, before we had kids, we... Um, heard a speaker talking about that, and, and he said, say yes to your kids as much as you can. Save the no's for the big stuff. Okay? You know, say, say, say yes as much as you can, unless obviously it's dangerous or moral or all that kind of things. But save no. Say, save your no's for the big stuff. I have a friend, and um, um, he practiced that as well. And, and when his son was in junior high, um, all, all the friends, all the kids in middle school were bleaching their hair. You know, the, all the guys were bleaching their hair. And so he said, Dad, can I bleach my hair? You know, and, and, um, and my friend I thought, man, that's a stupid thing, but it's not a major thing. You know, it's not a big major deal. And so he said, you know, I think it's stupid, you know, but I'll trust him. And he said, I'll trust you in this decision, even though I think it's stupid. Okay, he's stupid. So anyway, so the kid did. He bleached his hair. And for some reason, his hair color or his texture of his hair, or what he used was not ideal, and his, his hair turned, my friend said his hair turned the color of urine, okay, it turned the color of urine, and he said, oh my gosh, and so, so he dropped him off at school, and, and the kid was a little dubious about the whole thing anyway, and he, after school, my friend picked up his son, and the kid got in the car, and he was pretty quiet, this is true, all the way, and my friend said, well, did they notice your hair? And he said, yeah. He said, did they say anything? Yeah. He said, what did they say? He said, they, they call me pisshead. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes situations work themselves out on their own. <laughs> and we have to be incredibly encouraging. We have to. We have to provide hope. Um, and if you see your nephew pounded down by his parents, be the uncle or aunt, not that goes against parents, 
that provides hope. You know, that provides hope to the kids. That begins to go to them and motivates them and says, I see, I see these things in you that are good, that are there. So they can have some degree of dreaming that can happen. Second, second um, is reveal hope. And, and I guess I'd rather have you instead of write reveal, write the word expose, expose them to hope. Expose them to opportunities where they can understand what a hope looks like out there in this world. A long time ago, God was giving Israel guidance on how to live. He's saying, here's how I want you to live. These are some principles for you guys in your new land to, to live. And he gives these instructions. It says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine, God says, my words. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. He's not talking about literally tying them to your forehead. It's not saying take a Bible and turn it, put it on your forehead. What he's saying is make it so it is always in the forefront of your mind. Tie it to your hands, meaning everything you do, scriptures are going to be there and a part of your life. And then he says this, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. And you're saying, man, that sounds a little fanatical, you know, always talking about God and what God is doing. But when you understand the source of hope, it is God. Then it says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Meaning, let it be part of your whole world who God is. Because kids need that. When you invest, um, we, you know, as a church family, we invest really heavily in student ministry and children's ministry. Caitlin works with your children, and she's deeply involved in that. And, and, and Kurt works with our, with our middle school and high school kids. They're deeply involved with that. Why? Because it's important that kids get that sense of hope, that source of hope that comes from that there is an eternal God who has a plan for your life and that he loves you. And that no matter what's going on in your life, whether it's good or bad, he loves you and he's in control and everything is going to be okay. And he can use your life for an eternal purpose. And those messages give kids hope in their life that when they have a challenge or a disability or a heartbreak or a hardship, that there's a God behind it all. And he can work those kinds of things out. I've talked to parents, and, and a lot of times their response to children's and youth ministry, even here, you know, even here, is, well, I think it's important to let my children make up their own minds on the God thing. You know, it's important for, for, for my children that they can make up their own mind on the God thing. And I'll say, I'll say can, I, can I challenge you on that one? You know, um, do you think it's important to send your kids to school? Do you let your kids make up your mind on the school thing? You know, do they let your kids make up their mind on the math thing? And they say, no, 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 no. They've got to get an education. That's important for their life. And it's like, well, not knowing the God of the universe, you know, that's not important. It's, it's, It's like, no, kids can't make up their own mind on the God thing when they're 9 and 10 and 11 or 12. Why do we do this? So that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. And that means we will provide for us all mission trips. We want parents and families to go together. And we want parents and kids to go together on these mission trips. 
Why? It's because I want your kids to see you involved in a missions experience where you have to put out to love people that are not like you because your kids need to see that because they're going to pattern their lives of generosity after somebody, and right now the main one they're going to model it after is you. And that's why maybe you can take a niece or a nephew or a grandkid and say, we are going to do a service opportunity because I want to expose you to what it's like to have God working in a life and working through your life. We would like to provide those shared experiences with God. I'd like to invite Troy to come back up here and and tell us a little bit about some of the transitions students go through as they get into college and some of the college experiences and how hope actually helps students in this. Troy. Yeah, well, I mentioned I have two boys, Levi and Caleb. They're two and they're five now. Um, and when I first had Levi, um, I remember Jackie went away for a weekend and my, my low bar was I just wanted to keep him alive. Uh, that was easier than I thought. Uh, but then I, my next goal was, you know, I just don't want to mess him up. And then I think we said careful to Levi too many times at the park, and I realized that's impossible. I've created an anxious child now. Uh, so, so somewhere in between there, I started turning my focus towards college and thinking about what do I want my, my boys to know, um, and who do I want them to be when it's time for them to, to leave, to be sent out, um, and it's really kind of helped me and terrified me at the same time because I'm like, Levi's five now. I'm like, I have 13 more years to help shape and influence them. And that, that's helped frame how I want to be a parent to him. Because it's pretty scary when we think about releasing our kids into the wild, right? Yeah, it is for me. I mean, because the wild can seem pretty scary. I mean, as I think about the college campus, culturally, it's a really easy place to choose anything. Um, that can be drugs and sex. That can be um, Dungeons and Dragons. It can be anything. It can be Jesus. Um, and it's really easy to choose any of those things. You, and for the first time, for a lot of students, they have the freedom to do that. Religiously, uh, the college campus has changed a lot. In, in our nation, this generation is kind of one of the first post-Christian generations. Um, in the last 30 years, the number of of students and the number of people in the U.S., especially on the coasts, has gone up from, of people who have no religious affiliation, has gone up from 10 to 30%. The college campus, uh, it, it's a secular, most, most campuses are pretty secular places, and you can expect to get challenged in your faith. Uh, sometimes singled out as a Christian, even by professors because of your faith. And generationally, the, this, the student generation that's, that's entering campus now it uh, really has some deep things where they're, where they're plagued by anxiety uh, and depression, a loneliness that's exacerbated by social media. Uh, and I think a moral relativ- relativism that's captured by the phrase, you do you, which I hear all the time on the college campus, which basically means, just don't tell me what to do. You do you, you just do your thing, that's fine. I think it's no wonder that we hear the statistic that 70% of kids that grow up in, in a, a church leave by the time they're 30. And that's scary, right? I think the question that brings up for me and for all of us is how do we help them hang on? Um, and, and, and even is it possible to survive this transition with faith intact? 
But I want to encourage you guys. I actually want to challenge you guys that I don't think that's the right question. Uh, we're not trying to just survive. Uh, and, and I want to change our paradigm that you can have hope for and with your kids as you send them out. Uh, because the college campus, it can be a place for faith to thrive and not just survive. I know for many, it's a chance for students to ask themselves for the first time and with the freedom to ask themselves for the first time, who is it I'm going to be for the rest of my life? What is it that I want to be about? And in the process of doing that, they can discover that Jesus has so much more to offer them than they thought. And that not just them, but their friends, their professors, and the entire culture on campus. I, I, I think it's pretty powerful, even, even this statistic, 80% of students that enter the college campus are curious and interested in spirituality. So even though less people identify, I think there's a greater curiosity on campus that's ready for it. So I just wanted to share three quick stories of three students that, that show the power of hope, the hope that Jesus brings on campus. The first was a woman that I met this fall. Her name is Sydney. Um, and, the, and we took them, we took a bunch of freshmen on a hike, um, with a couple of leaders that helped kind of create some community for them. And, and one of these freshmen was Sydney. And one of the first conversations I ever had with her, she, she looked at me and she's like, God brought me to this campus for a reason. I just don't know what it is yet. Uh, and she was like, and it's more than just reaching out to my roommates. I could have done that anywhere. I'm on this campus for a reason. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, where did you come from? <laughs> I was like, that just doesn't happen. That's not just your parents. That's, that's a whole church that invested in you and gave you a vision that you were sent to campus. Um, since then, I've talked with her and coached her as she's prayed with, with um, her roommates, as she talked with friends, as she participated in a campus evangelistic outreach where they went and talked and answered questions um, to people about spirituality. The second is a guy named David. And David is on the Sonoma State uh, baseball team. And all semester, I've been talking with him, or all, all year, um, this, the, the fall semester, I was talking with him about reaching out in some of the places he was. And he said, I've been praying for my baseball team. I've been asking God for, for conversations, and he's talked with roommates. He's been, he's been a key guy that's helped encourage a lot of Christians that were struggling um, in their faith as they came to college. And he's been one that's kind of come alongside them and encouraged them. Well, just this last week, like, like Pastor Paul mentioned, I... I uh, didn't mean to do it, but I went to talk to the coach and uh, ended up making an announcement on this baseball team. Um, and 19 of his teammates signed up to be part of a Bible study. And I talked to David afterwards, and he was like, I had no idea that there was that many people that would be interested. Um, he looked at most of me, he's like, I see three people that I know are Christians. I don't know about the rest of these guys. <laughs> so that's what we're, we're, we're praying, that the Lord will do something there. Um, the last student I want to talk about is May, and she's a sophomore now, but she, she, when she came to college, she said, I have always wanted a place to ask questions about God, but I've never had one. So when she came to college, she was like, this is, where I, I, this is a good chance. I want to ask my questions about God. So that ended up being our community, um, and she was so, so passionate about getting her questions answered. This, this December, she came to a national conference that we hosted, Urbana, in St. Louis, and there she was able to get a picture of God's peace, of his hope. And she became a follower of Jesus there. I think these three students are great examples of people that believe they are sent to campus 
that they have a hope that's not just for them, but for the whole of campus, and that it can actually transform their lives and the whole world around them. Thank you, Troy. Um, last thing, last point. Um, in your own life, um, model hope, model hope. Luke 15 is a great story that Jesus told. Um, it's called the story of the prodigal son, and in Luke 15, please go home and read it. And, and the story is about a kid who, um, once he got old enough, he leaves the family home and takes the family inheritance and um, wastes it all, spends it all. Um, ends up um, homeless, picking up odd jobs, and finally realizes that his life is dead-ended, and, and he goes back home. And, and, and the scene then shifts to his dad, and his dad is there watching and waiting for the son to come back with hope. Kid comes back and the father runs to him and said, let's throw a party. My son was lost. Now he's found. You know, he's dead. Now he's alive. He's back. Um, the story's called The Prodigal Son, The Story of the Prodigal Son. That's the title of it. Um, do you know what prodigal means? We get our word prodigious uh, from that, and it means lavish. It means unsparing. And it's meant for the way that the kid spent the money. He spent it all, just lavishly, threw it away here, threw it away there, just tossed it all away, and um, pretty soon it was gone. Um, but I, th- I, th- I think um, we should look at the father, and I think we should look at the hope and love that he had for his son. That was lavish. That was unsparing. And I think the point of the story is not the prodigal son. The point of the story is the prodigal what? Prodigal father who gave out his love and gave out his hope. Um, and it never, never stopped. He modeled hope. He modeled it. I had a conversation last night um, with a dad. And um, he, said, he said, I liked what you said, Paul, but you left something out. And it's like, okay. Um, He said, um, it didn't work for us. We raised our kids best we could, best we knew how, and we taught them about God. We taught them about Christ. We exposed them as much as we could to Jesus. But they're in their 20s and early 30s, and it just didn't seem to stick. It didn't work. Where's the hope in that? And again, reflecting back on Luke chapter 15 and the story of the prodigal father, um, um, at any point in time, the father could have said, it's not working, it, it didn't work. But remember, when the son was away, the story's not over. And I was able to tell that father, you know what, the story's not done yet with your kids. It's not over. It's not done. For just as God was reaching out into the life of that young man in Luke chapter 15, and it says when the kid finally came to his senses, um, he realized my life would be better back with my father than any other place. That's the way it may be with your kids. 
that life is better back, not with mom and dad, but with Jesus, because that's the foundation. I'd like you that may be discouraged in what direction your kids have gone to remember that. The story's not done yet. Through you praying and you modeling hope and encouragement, they might realize my mom, my dad, my aunt, my uncle, my grandparents have this hope that I need, that I want. And they come to their senses. And so what I want us to do is just kind of as we end up this time, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up right now, as we end up this time, I, I, I guess I'd like to have us maybe work through those kinds of things. And, and, and maybe your kids are doing great. Maybe your niece and nephew are doing great. Your grandkids are doing wonderful. Parents are doing fine. Everything's fine. Give thanks to God for that. Maybe you need the hope that the story's not over yet. And your prayer would be, God... Shake them up in a great way, <laughs> in a good way. The story's not done yet, never is. And the story's not done for you either. If you think I'm that prodigal kid and I've wasted too much, there's always a father, and it's God himself who's waiting for you. Would you bow with me, please? I love, I love it, Lord, that you talk about in the Bible a living hope it's not just a sunshine in the sky it's a living hope that works in our lives that our stories being written whether they're being written well or whether we feel they've had some mistakes in them the story's not done yet and as long as you're in it the story will work out good I pray for parents here grandparents uncles aunts brothers or sisters that are really trying to work through the whole issue of siblings or nieces, nephews that are struggling. We pray for them. We lift up those kids to you. Sometimes they're grown kids. We pray for them, Lord. Pray for them to return back to that which they know Fathers, we are um, derive hope from you and get hope from you. Help us to be prodigal in sharing it. Prodigiously lavishing hope, encouragement, building up on the other people in our families. To see the best, not the worst. To build, not tear down. And if you're here this morning, maybe your commitment would be, I want to understand more about this God of hope. Because I've always heard he was something else, and there's something here. So, Lord, wherever we're at, whatever's going on in our lives, we want you to work. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name.